When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Manchester United returned from the international break with a 2-1 win against Brighton at home and that almost secures their position in the top four and Champions League qualification for next season. Upcoming, of course, is a Thursday night Europa League clash in Granada, which should be an interesting watch in a wonderful part of the world, but one which unfortunately United's away fans won't be able to be attending this time. And then it spurs against Jose Mourinho, who stumbled as they look to get top four as well with a 2-2 draw against Newcastle. Welcome back to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Thank you for joining us as always with Harry Robinson and Jack Tate. And with Jack today, we're going to be talking about the win against Brighton, about Mason Greenwood, about Aaron Wambasaka in defence and about plenty more before previewing Granada and Spurs. And then for our patrons, we have a big bumper patron Q&A with loads of stuff about De Gea, Cavani and plenty, plenty more. But Jack, let's start with Brighton. It, it was a great start being our United and I, I found it a little strange watching the coverage of this game because at halftime United were losing and, and deservedly so. But there was this this comment, and I think it was made by Real Ferdinand on BT Sport, that it seemed like United had, had couldn't find their rhythm after the international break. And I really disagree with that because the first 10 minutes of the game, we looked good. We had a nice rhythm, some nice movement. We were winning the ball back quickly and multiple players were making runs past the defence. That all completely stopped after they scored. And in the end, it was a pretty miserable first half. Yeah, I mean, the first 10 minutes weren't too bad. Like you said, we created a good chance for Greenwood. We were moving the ball relatively quickly. It all looked okay. Then Brian started to get a foothold in the game. And I mean, Brian are a good side and they the way that they play is not something that we're particularly good at dealing with because they do press quite high and they started they started putting the pressure on us high up the pitch and we weren't good enough at dealing with that. And on the ball, they moved the ball really nice and quickly through midfield, which again is something that we struggle with. Ultimately, the goal comes from our, our own mistake. Pogba giving the ball away in midfield and then it, and then it's almost every stage of Brighton's attack beyond that starts to see a mistake from at least one United player in it. I think that the the issue was that even though we did eventually respond in this game and obviously ended up making the comeback again, we didn't respond to the goal well at all initially. Yeah. And the rest of the first half was was really, really poor. I mean, I think this was the first time all season we didn't have a shot on target in the first 45 minutes, which not only shows yeah. you A, just how bad this performance is, but also how out of character it is for this team to not produce anything of note in front of goal. Yeah, it's true because, I mean, we can all remember pretty bad first halves over the last 18 months, but this was the first one in 18 months where you're right, we didn't have a shot on target in the first half. And I, I think the concern for me probably isn't a response because we've seen United respond so well so many times this season. So I'm, I'm kind of treating that as a one-off, which is all right. It did seem like Solskjaer had given them quite a bollocking though because uh, Mason Greenwood's interview after he spoke about Maguire and Solskjaer being pretty vocal in the dressing room at halftime and Solskjaer seemed to 
seemed to imply that um, some pretty furious words were shared at halftime, which kind of gives them, backs up that idea that this was a, a really poor first half beyond the first 10 minutes, certainly after Brighton scored. I think more the concern for me though was, I think we spoke about this after the, the Leicester game. This was nowhere near as bad as the Leicester game, even, even just that 40 minutes. But it, it was the issues we've seen again and again. It was not seeing kind of any plan in attack in that first half. But it was also the defensive issues, which is, as we've covered time and time again, Wan-Bissaka at the back post, it's, it, he can't do it. He, he cannot do it. His aerial ability is so, so poor. And together that right side, because you can imagine wan might be all right next to Maguire, but together with him and Lindelof, Lindelof's main weakness is in the air, wan main weakness is in the air, and together... It's abysmal and wan positioning, it, we've seen it so many times and even before the goal, but also for it and then after. Um, Brighton were targeting that. They were trying to drop the ball onto wan head, get it over Maguire and Lindelof and allow Welbeck, Morpe, whoever was there to pinpoint wan and get in front of him and beat him in the air because so many people have done it this season. And, wh- and why wouldn't you do that if you're a team playing against United at the moment? I mean, that is... And a team that has a lot of weaknesses defensively, as we've seen countless times over the course of the season, probably alongside trying to run in behind with fast strikers and we can't keep up with. I mean, crosses to the back post from their right-hand side onto Wan-Bissaka's side is the perfect uh, way to score for the opposition teams. That is probably our biggest weakness at the moment. And again, we keep coming back to this point, and I think this is it's worth hammering home over and over again. It's the repetition of mistakes that are the concern. I don't think it's fair that you expect any player, any team to never make mistakes. It happens to the best in the world. Yeah. John Stones has been probably the best centre-back in the Premier League alongside Ruben Diaz this season and made a howler for England in midweek. You know, it happens. The problem, though, is when mistakes become repetitive, when you're doing the same thing over and over again. And that's exact, exactly what's happening with wan And that is the issue, and that's why it's such a worry you know, you you see him, and it's not just the positioning. You know, for the for the goal, his positioning actually is okay in this instance. He's marking Welbeck pretty well. He's very very close to him. The problem though, he just doesn't attack the ball. I mean, if you see that ball coming in, there's a chance it might go over Lindelof's head, and Wan-Bissaka is pretty much standing still, just waiting for the ball yeah. to come to him. And as a as a defender in your own penalty area, you cannot do that. You have to attack the ball. You look look at every time we had a corner. Look at the way Lewis Dunk attacks the ball. He he is always searching for the ball whenever it comes into the box. And I'm not expecting Wan-Bissaka to be you know, that good in the air. But when it's coming into your area of the pitch, you have to do everything you can to intercept that ball as quickly as you can, even if it's coming straight to you. Yeah. And it's it's, it's becoming a big worry, not just because you know, we're conceding goals from it, but again, because we've not seen any improvement. You know, it's it's happened again and again and again over the course of almost two seasons now. And it makes you question whether his ability in the tackle, which is, you know, up there with the best in the world, is it worth this downside? I don't I know. Think Maybe that's, that's the a point, question. I'm not it? suggesting that Wembasaka isn't, you know, a starting right back and shouldn't be, but if he if he doesn't show any ability to improve this area of his game, and that's also down to the coaching staff as well, where do you go from here? Yeah. I, th- I think that's the point is that we know where he's good. It's in one-on-one situations and he's not just good there. He is he is brilliant. He's a brilliant, brilliant tackler and the, and the timing of the tackle is great. But 
the dual, the combined effect of being bad in the air, his positioning is, is generally quite poor. In this case, his initial positioning was good. He came inside to to track Welbeck, but then lost focus and concentration. And and he couldn't, he, he didn't look at Welbeck for the last kind of two seconds before that cross came in. And he thought, how do you know where he is? And he, he didn't because, <laughs> it, well, we know he didn't in the end. But anyway, the combined effect of that defensive weakness and the attacking weakness, which has been well covered and, and is well known, means you're thinking, is as you say, is that quality in the tackle, that one-on-one ability enough? And I don't think right back will be a priority position for United for, for some time because there are bigger issues elsewhere, but it, it is worth bearing in mind and it, it's a question that yeah. should be asked. He, he isn't doing enough at the moment. It's frustrating as well because you think defensively, he's so much more suited actually to playing a right wing back role in a back five or a back three because he then he is able to to pretty much purely focus on those one on one, yeah, one on one duels with players rather than having to cover the back post because the right centre back would be able to do that. But the downside with that is that if he's <laughs> playing right wing back, he's probably then reliant on him as the only outlet down yeah, that side yeah. of the pitch. And that's forward, not happening. Which again is a weakness of his game. So it's. It's it's difficult because they each part of his game sort of cancels out the other when you try and think of his best position. Yeah. Because at right back, where he isn't relied upon as much going forward, that deficiency in his game at the back post defending crosses it can be exposed. But then if you cover that off, then the weakness going forward is is left exposed, and we're relying on him as our effectively our right winger when we have the ball, which obviously is not a situation that we want. Like you said, it's not going to be a priority area probably for a number of years, and it shouldn't be. I, I think in general. You know, Wan-Bissaka is not a, a an issue in this team. But going forward, it is definitely an area that, that needs improving. And if this team continues to progress, say, in the next year or two, eventually I think it might become an area that you would look at and say, we can make a major upgrade well, here. As we'll cover later, Ethan Laird is progressing well at MK Dons. That, that will be some time before I think he's looked at for the first team. But I think I, I think the point is we've seen why Wan-Bissaka isn't in the England squad. And there's a bit of me that that thinks, as an Englishman, he should be called up to protect him from going to play for Congo, which has been rumoured. But that's why he he is very far off being reliable enough to be there. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I think going forward as well. Just final thought is, on the defensive side of things, is... I do think there's, there's there's some context because he is playing next to a, the the right centre back is Victor Lindelof who has his qualities and was stepping out defence well yesterday. But I think part of the reason that Wambasaka struggles is because it seems clear that he's been told to kind of tuck in behind Lindelof for those aerial battles. Because how many times have we seen Victor Lindelof miss a header? It, too many times, most famously against Huddersfield under Mourinho. But there have been many other examples of it and it seems like Wambasak has been told to tuck him behind him to to make up for those mistakes in case they happen the problem is I don't think Wambasak is good enough for doing it either and so you've got this two sides that both of the right defenders have the same weakness and it goes back to the point we've mentioned so many times and that our listeners have sent in the same questions about our players not covering for each other's weaknesses actually making them worse in terms of going forward yeah, it's it, it's again a problem. And I think there was clearly an issue with the tempo in the first half yesterday and, and Solskjaer was heard shouting, don't slow it down from the touchline. 
but there was also a problem with the, the balance of the team and the, you didn't see much in terms of, you, you couldn't really tell what United were doing. We've had this problem before, but you couldn't really tell what United were doing except occasionally looking for a one uh, a one-two with a fullback, and and it came off a couple of times. One of the times, Fernandez and Wamasaka did it, and then Wamasaka hit the first man with a cross, which was disappointing. Other times, it works better with Shaw. And the other thing is just those balls over the top, in behind, which didn't really come off. I, I think that was the, the 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 lack of knowing what United were doing, apart from kind of just trying to chip it over the top to forward runs which weren't really being made by Cavani enough or or Greenwood or Rashford actually it it was a bit of a worry yeah it just looked so disjointed in the first half I mean again we've already spoken that you know the the lack of shots on target was very out of character for for this team but it wasn't only that we we're we're, we're just disjointed sometimes you know in almost every game but it it was it was the fact that we just weren't even creating anything. You know, Fernandez was was getting on the ball quite a lot and then doing his usual thing of of trying like twenty things every every minute, and maybe one or two of them would come off, which is fine. Rashford, when he got involved, was his usual direct self, but again, not much came off. I think the the biggest difference I thought compared to recent games was actually the the less effectiveness of Luke Shaw. You know, he really actually has been. Arguably our, our most yeah. efficient, our most effective outfield attacking player in the last two months, maybe. Probably our most consistent attacking player anyway. He's offered us so much down that left flank with Rashford and given so much freedom to everyone else because the supply that he's provided from that left wing have, has been so good. He wasn't quite as involved. He wasn't getting forward as much, wasn't going beyond Rashford as much. I, I don't know why, particularly if that was because we were worried about Brighton on the counter or if it was just sort of an off, off day but whatever it was, I think that actually had a, a huge effect on us in attack because we didn't have that outlet as high up the pitch on the left. It meant that Rashford had less freedom because they could easily double up on Rashford whenever he got the ball, just as they were doing to Greenwood as well. And then Cavani was was really absent for almost all of the game. He had so few touches of the, of the ball. It looked like he, he wanted to come short, but just never actually put in the movement to create any passing lanes into him. Yeah, he wasn't. He, he, was, he was off it. 12 passes in 82 minutes. I mean, it's funny. I mean, it, it shows kind of how how can use stats well and badly. That's probably a bad use of them because you could have a striker's performance where he passes it 12 times in 82 minutes and has three shots and scores a hat trick and you wouldn't be complaining. But the truth is that the eye test is probably more important in this situation and Cavani wasn't moving enough and when he got on the ball, he wasn't doing enough with it. He just looked off. There were a couple of moments where it was good. There were a couple of bits of quality where it seemed like a ball would be dropping and you wouldn't be able to keep the chance alive and he would keep it alive. But apart from that, there, there really wasn't much to it. And I was surprised he, he stayed on the pitch for as long as he did. Um, and I think it, it pushed United out wide where I think we like being, but we're not good enough yet. It's it's it, it, I mean it's blatantly obvious that we need a, a right winger to create more space for Fernandez and Pogba to make up for the lack of attacking quality from Wambasaki, even though it has had a, a mild improvement over the the last few few months to help Rashford and Shaw on the left because there's so much attention can be paid there. But we'll talk about Mason Greenwood, I think, because and then we'll mention Van der Beek later, but. It, as you say, Greenwood's surrounded by players and that's because 
he there aren't that many threats in the United team and so you can you can just focus on him everyone knows he's really good at shooting he's a great finisher he can powerfully shoot from range as well he was just surrounded every time as a team we need to be better at creating situations where both Rashford and Greenwood the players who like to take people on but need to isolate people we have to create those situations where they can they can have that space in which to work yeah, it was. I mean, it was tough for especially Greenwood and Rashford because they were they were being pretty much surrounded for almost every time they they got the ball. And part of that was the fact that Cavani was not providing really any outlet outlet in attack. That and that had a knock on effect not only on Rashford and Greenwood but also on Fernandez, and that he couldn't really pass the ball inside into um, Cavani. And then that meant that Rashford and Green, Greenwood had so much less space. It was just sort of a cycle that, not to put everything on Cavani, it's certainly not his fault, but his his lack of movement meant it was very easy for Brighton to defend against him. And then that meant that they had more resources to put towards defending everyone else. It was, I mean, just watching it was, it was really, really quite boring to, to be honest. I've got to say, and that's not even in our, in our worst performances, this United team isn't normally boring. Yeah. That's the one thing you can say about us, but it, it really was quite a boring first half after Brighton took the lead. They always look dangerous on, on the counter-attack. And I think it's, it's a little worrying, I think, that United have been... We have seen this drop-off in attack so much recently. You know, it's not it's not exactly been free-flowing football at United yeah. for the last month or so. I'm not concerned on a sort of a bigger picture. We've had injuries. It's been disjointed. We've been on a lot of the... You know, Europa League has been a lot of rotation, FA Cup games, what have you. So I'm not concerned. But I think in the short term, it does seem like, whether it's fatigue or just a loss of form... That in attack, we definitely aren't anywhere close to our best at yeah. the moment. In terms of Greenwood, I thought he played really well, to be fair. And I was really pleased to see him score a header, as he said, to BT Sport yeah. after he's been working on. I think he has done on... for the last month or so, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I, I, th- I think what he's done is, I'm not sure it's necessarily a change or that he's getting more minutes or that he's more confident. But you I, I, you looked around that United team and, and as you say, it was pretty boring, but it was also too slow. The only player, it, it kind of had this feel to it where it had half of the team was trying to play at tempo and half weren't. And I'd say the half that were, were uh, Greenwood, Bruno, Shaw and Pogba. So not even half. Um, and then Rashford was, but he he's the kind of player who holds onto the ball. So it's slightly different. Um, and the other half weren't and you can't have if you're going to play at tempo you need your whole team to be doing it but the thing that Greenwood was doing really well and, and this was even more obvious the, the later the game went on is just bouncing off he kind of acted acted as that wall where you just bounce the ball off him and keep things moving and that's the kind of football that I think we'd like to see with Van der Beek in the team um, but I, yeah, yeah, I think that's that. That was one of the good bits about Greenwood, and the rhythm was really off. But Greenwood was keeping that that pace to the game up. But Van der Beek came on. I'm not sure he even touched the ball once, but played a big part in the goal by having some real movement, which we didn't really see from most of the players on the pitch um, when he was on the bench. Yeah, I thought he actually had a pretty big impact when he came on, despite the fact that, like you said, he didn't actually touch the ball very often and didn't touch the ball in the build-up to the goal, but was actually instrumental, just as he was against in the uh, for the goal against Leicester, even though, again, he didn't touch the ball in the build-up with his double yeah. to Greenwood. I thought his, his movement in that for that goal was perfect, to be honest. We, we were just saying that what we really struggled with was getting some runners in behind, partly because you know Cavani was not his best, partly because Brighton were defending so deep. 
and we just didn't have those runners from midfield. This is one of the only times when you get Fernandez in, initially making the run sort of in behind the midfield. I think was it Bissouma that he made the run in behind? I'm not sure. Shaw get plays the ball through to him, and then you have Van der Beek making the second run beyond the uh, beyond the lines as well. All of a sudden, yeah. then you've created so much space for yourself in the box. It gives Fernandez more time. And then Van der Beek also was there, ready to head it in if it didn't fall to Greenwood as well. Listen, I think at this point, it probably feels like we're clutching at straws a little bit with, with Van der Beek, you know, giving him so much praise for not <laughs> really did, yeah, touching the ball. But I think, I think there is an argument, though, to be said that, you know, what else are you supposed to do at this point, point with Van der Beek? And in his, in his position, you have got to take the small victories as they come. And to be fair, even though it might be sort of... I don't think it's clutching at straws. You know, we are trying to find small victories here, but he did genuinely play a big role in both of those goals against Leicester. It was, it was two... The second goal against Brighton. Against Brighton, it was two bits of really positive movement in the same move. It was first that that move to come out wide and that created that gap in between for, for as you say, for Fernandes to get behind. And then, as you mentioned, it was when he was in the box as well, he pulled out defenders and made that space for both himself, Greenwood and Fernandes. And, that's a huge role. I've I've actually just checked. He didn't have a single touch of the ball in that game, which seems incredible. Um, at least according to the the, the basic stats, didn't have a single touch, um, but had a, a really big influence. I don't, I don't think it is clutching at straws because this is what, A, he was only given 11 minutes. B, that, that was the role he was brought on to do is to, is to move and create that space. And it, it's what he does is, is he draws defenders and opponents away from spaces of danger and draws them out into spaces of of non-danger. So he draws Ben White out from the, the centre-back position over to the right-back position and Fernandes can go in there and finally get a bit of space to play in. And that's that's what's really good about him. And I, I'd like to see more of him um, in, in the last few weeks of the season. This is what I mean, because how many players in our team have good movement? If you think, Rashford does, but it doesn't as much on the left wing. Martial doesn't. Cavani does, but isn't showing at the moment. Greenwood does, but it needs to improve. He's, he's, he'll be learning off Cavani. McTominay has this terrible uh, ability to kind of be caught, <laughs> marked for so much of the game and, and all throughout the team. Not the, apart from Cavani, who, who on his day is an incredible striker as, as a, as a mover. But Van der Beek offers something different and that's why I think we need to see more of him. Yeah, I mean, his movement, and we've said this all season when he's played, his movement has been by far the best part of his game. And I think that is what he brings to the table is that ability to find space and that ability to to stretch defences. He might not be the fastest player, he might not be the most physical. And, you know, when you think about someone stretching defences and breaking the lines, it is those, those sort of quick, shifty players that you think of. Van der Beek isn't that. But his movement is so intelligent that it, it not only creates space for himself, but I think probably more crucially, it creates space for others because he's dragging defenders away the entire time. He gets himself into unusual positions, I would say. And I mean that in a good way, in that he puts defenders where they don't want to be, which creates so much space for for the rest of the team. Listen, I think he it's obviously not been the first season that he wanted, but if he can get some a, a bit more playing time towards the end of the season... This was also, again, it's sort of very small victories, but probably the earliest that he's been brought on in a game, apart obviously other than starting the Leicester game in quite a while as well, which hopefully suggests that Solskjaer still has some trust in him to bring him on when we need a goal. It was still pretty late. 
it was still pretty late. But I mean, normally it's like 88 rather than 78 minutes, you know, that he's coming on. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, this isn't the yeah. first time that he's come on and, and had an impact on a game. I can think of three off the top of my head. The first day of the season at uh, Palace at home when he came on and scored, obviously in vain in the end. The Newcastle away when he came on and we scored three goals after he came on. Uh, now, now against yeah. Brighton as well. You know, he he does have an impact when he comes on. Uh, again, I'm just going to keep banging this drum as I say almost every week. I want to see Van der Beek in the team with Fernandez. I don't know if it's going to happen, yeah. but maybe if Martial's injury is as serious as Solskjaer suggested, if Rashford is out injured for a few games, maybe Van der Beek will get a chance from the start a couple of times in the next few weeks. And, yeah. and I would I would love to see that. Yeah. Right, we're going to move on to our youth round and women's roundup, and then we're going to preview Granada and Spurs. Be back in a second. Manchester United were knocked out of the FA Youth Cup at the weekend with a 1-0 defeat to Liverpool at home at Lee Sports Village. A really disappointing defeat, actually. United were dominated possession, but couldn't create enough chances in the first half, and in the second, couldn't put them away. They had plenty of chances to do so. Liverpool took the lead early on, um, but they, their only real attacking move of the game, actually, a lovely cross from the left-back Norris, uh, and then finished off by Tyler Morton. Norris was later sent off in the second half, a really poor challenge, but United couldn't capitalise on that, couldn't capitalise on loads of possession, and so out of the FA Youth Cup again, another disappointing campaign in the competition, and that stretches United's weight for further FA Youth Cup glory to over a decade now. The last time United won the FA Youth Cup was 2011 uh, with Paul Popper and Jesse Lingard in the team. There'll be more detail on that defeat in the FA Youth Cup and the campaign in a separate special episode for Academy patrons. You can sign up for three quid to get two extra episodes every month uh, just solely dedicated to the Academy. Also in that podcast will be updates on who's leaving the club this summer, including a little bit on Arnold Puigmal, Harvey Neville, Charlie McCann and Istin Hughes and Hannibal Medjpri. He's back in first team training, having recovered from injury. In loan news, another great performance for James Garner. Um, I'm actually watching him play just now for Nottingham Forest in an Easter Monday game. Uh, that game is, is shortly ending. Can't talk to you too much about those Easter Monday results. But here is the latest for the Lonies. James Garner, man of the match and goal scorer as Nottingham Forest beat Cardiff City 1-0 on Good Friday, included in the EFL Team of the Week, then started against QPR on Easter Monday. Ethan Laird in League One came off the bench for MK Dons in a 1-0 win against Doncaster and then back in the starting eleven on Monday against Crew Alexandra. He was interviewed by United last week and spoke about how playing two games a week has made him so much more confident in his body after a long spell of injuries in the United youth teams. Centre-back Ted Enmengi didn't play for Derby in their 2-0 win against Luton. Wayne Rooney did speak about him again, though, and then put him back in the starting lineup on Monday against Reading. Andreas Pereira played 52 minutes for Lazio. Alu Traoré was not in the squad for Cannes in France. Facundo Pellistri started for Alaves, but they lost 3-1 to Celta Vigo. And Heath Chong played in a 2-1 win for Club Bruges against Courtreek. Derby want Ted Enmengi on loan again next season. Rooney wants him, and United are OK with that. It's up to Mengi to decide if he wants to go back to the Championship Club for a full campaign under Rooney or return to United or seek a different loan move. It seems like a sensible idea. Manchester United women are set to miss out on a top three finish this season and therefore also Champions League qualification. After a fantastic first half of the season, form has slumped downwards and is getting worse. Injuries have played a part. Tobin Heath has been out for a while and Kristen Press missed Saturday's 1-0 defeat to Brighton. It's a really disappointing result for United. The situation is now a very tricky one. United are level on points with Arsenal, but way behind on goal difference, sitting in fourth place. Arsenal also have a game in hand and so United will need a four 
four-point swing in the remaining three games to get themselves back into that top three. It's unlikely, but we'll see. Uh, A real shame for United if they do miss out, but they've brought it upon themselves with the form in the back end of the season, if truth be told. Right, Jack, let's uh, talk Granada and Spurs. Uh, I recorded that youth throw and women's roundup before we started recording today. Um, And just a quick update for... Uh, the listeners, James Garner has scored again for Nottingham Forest. I mean, scored on Good Friday, scored on Easter Monday as well. So that's two goals and two for him. And Ethan Laird played a good 70 minutes for MK Dons there winning. And Derby are winning as well with Ted and Menke at the back, as things stand. Um, so a slightly weird way of doing it, but I did record that before and I, I don't want to have to update the whole thing. So I'd, I'd just update you there. Jack Granada on Thursday. Um, we're in an interesting situation where we've kind of, because of results elsewhere, United, certainly the the media thinks that top four is secured. It it really should be, but there's because it's only just got to the a gap this big. There's this peculiar situation where Granada is probably the more important game, but if United lose to Spurs, suddenly it's not comfortable again, and suddenly it it, it is a top four race again, and so you've you've they probably are of equal importance, especially given there's that second leg against Granada. So it's not as if we can rest players for either one of them. But I would be tempted to play Bruno Fernandes against Granada and try and get a really good result here and then rest him against Spurs. But I can't see that happening. Um, But in terms of looking at the week as a whole, what are you expecting? Well, I mean, it's a huge week, first of all. I mean, that sort of goes without saying. It feels like every week at the moment is a huge week in, in the season for Manchester United. The, this weekend was was big for us though, you know, with Leicester losing, Chelsea losing, Spurs getting held at Newcastle as well. It remains to be seen what happens with the West Ham game tonight. But, you know, that gap to the top four is a big deal. It's now 11 points down to fifth. I think West Ham will, will close that gap a little bit if they win tonight. Uh, what are they behind? Yeah, so it'll go down to eight points if West Ham win tonight, which, you know, is... It's slightly less less comfortable, but I think, mm. to be honest, I think coming off an international break, you've got to go full strength in both games. I don't think there's any room to rest against either Granada or Spurs, unfortunately. I mean, Bruno Fernandes is sort of the big one that we're all thinking about. He did at least get a rest, I think, in one of the games for Portugal in the international break, which, again, it's... It's a small, small thing. We'd still rather him get you know the entire two weeks off, but it is something to to bear in mind. I just think the, this week is so important, and if we end up you know getting a good result in the first day against Granada and beating Spurs next weekend, you know that that opens up so many possibilities for us for the rest of the season. Especially considering that West Ham and Leicester play each other the following weekend when we play Spurs. You know this is a big opportunity for United. I, I think you've got to attack this week head on. And then deal with fatigue afterwards and hope that you have a big enough lead against Granada that you can rest some players in that game. Then the following week in the Premier League, we play Burnley. Again, that's an opportunity to rest some players. So I think you've got to look at this in sort of a two-week arc and say that these next two games are the big two. And I think you've got to go full strength in both of them. Yeah. Um, I don't think we can give that much insight into Granada. I haven't watched, I don't think any of Granada this season. Um, they've lost... I don't think they've won any of their last four games. So. We, we don't have a great record against Spanish teams in, in recent years, but hopefully Granada being that they aren't in great form, we can take care of our business. But I mean, the Europa League also seems to be a, a tournament that a lot of teams manage to pull out their best performances in. We've seen it before when 
teams have had terrible domestic seasons and then ended up having a great run in the Europa League. So anything can happen. Yeah. I mean, nothing has to be a bigger warning than Spurs going out to Slavia Prague. Yeah. Um, Spurs, though, it's an interesting one because, I've, because oh, I mean, Spurs went out to Slavia Prague and I think that's clouded what has been, uh, they're actually in decent form. Yeah. That being said, they have just drawn to Newcastle in typical fashion. I mean, probably the best game to look at is the North London derby for some kind of an idea about how things might pan out. I, mean, I, th- I think the Spurs game is, is massive. Firstly, you know, not obviously for the league table, it's big because we want to cement top four, and that would allow us to tighten our grip on that. But also, just symbolically, the fact that one, it's against Mourinho, and two, against the team that beat us six-one earlier this season. Yeah. I mean, it really doesn't get much bigger and more important than that, in my opinion. In terms of what to expect, I mean, Spurs, like you said, it's been clouded a little bit, but they're in great form at the moment. Ever since they've had Kane and Son back, fit and firing, you know, they've been very, very good. And and if they're if those two are on form and playing well, then I'm always scared of playing Spurs because they are a very, very dangerous team. And in in those two, they can score goals from anywhere. And especially Son up against Wan-Bissaka and Kane up against Maguire and Lindelof scares me (laughs) to no end. Spurs can be got at at though. I think the the big thing will be how each team approaches the game. We saw when Spurs played at Old Trafford, obviously the game went haywire and it became a crazy game, but they they were a lot more aggressive than we expected, which was partly probably down to the fact that we scored so early and forced them to be aggressive. But I think we all expected them to just come in and sit sit back and try and hit on the hit on the counter attack. They didn't play like that at all, but we have seen them play like that in a lot of big games this season. If they play like that, I think it somewhat plays into our hands, just in the fact that we've we've played against this so much this season. Yeah. But on the counter attack, they are seriously dangerous. Yeah. The six one point is a is certainly a, a good one, and I'm. I'm sure motivation will be high for that. Before we wrap things up, we've got loads of patron questions this week. If anyone's interested in signing up to become a patron, you can um, go to our Twitter at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P-O-D at the end and, and you can find information as to how. I think we should, let's go through a couple of them before we wrap up the normal show and then we'll answer the the bulk of them in the in the bonus Q&A at the end. Just wanted to to talk, one question from Dave Shevlin saying is Greenwood ready to be deployed as our main striker next year or would you rather we sign someone more proven uh, while he continues to develop in terms of what's most beneficial to Greenwood I think it's it's playing up front for United in terms of what's best for United I think unless Greenwood shows something serious in the last two months of this season what's best for United is is signing someone great that being said the priority isn't as a striker, unless you can sign Erling Haaland, which given the fees associated with him for his agent, his file and for his salary seem outrageously unlikely. Um, the priority is a, is a right winger and a central defensive midfielder. So I, I think this Martial being injured could be a great chance for Greenwood, especially now Cavani's out of form. And I think he, he, he needs, if he can get a prolonged run in the side in the back end of this season, he's playing really well. And he, his role in build-up is really good. His movement needs to improve. His heading needs to improve. Um, and he, he just needs to find more opportunities to be able to get good finishes off rather than um, finishes where it, it's very likely they're going to be blocked. But I think 
he, he has to show something big in this last two months of the season, but I, th- I think he can if we trust in him and give him longer than 65 minutes every game. If we're ever going to try Greenwood up front this season, the moment is now. With the injuries we have, this is without a doubt the best he's played all season. I think he's he's been very, very good recently, despite the goals not following, although they have recently. If we ever want to get a sense of whether Greenwood can lead the line for United, now is surely the time. I'm not sure he's ready, but I hope that he proves me wrong. And I, I, I do expect and hope that he will get a run of games as our main striker now. In terms of Cavani, we've got one from Modnaya saying, should we sign Cavani's contract extension for another year? Um, saying he's injury prone and his form lately isn't convincing. Um, I, I mean, not yet, no. It, it, there's been suggestions he's going to go to Boca Juniors, which would be uh, the, the the romantic in me and the romantic fan of Argentinian and South American football would would love to see that. Um, I th- I think I think that look the wider impact of Cavani is also on Greenwood and on Rashford and and, and Martial and whoever is at the club in terms of coaching mentality and and a movement, and so even if you don't have quite as much faith as we might have had a couple of months ago that he's going to be a great striker and can start for United, there's still obviously an argument for for keeping him round. I think you probably, unless United is signing a striker, I think you definitely keep Cavani for another year if, if he wants to be here. But if he doesn't, then I don't think there's much point because you need him to be really eager to be at the club. Yeah, I think it's pretty much all dependent on whether we sign a striker or not this summer. I mean, you can see now that our depth without Cavani at striker is is pretty thin. You know, you get one injury, maybe two injuries to Martial and Rashford, and then all of a sudden you're down to Greenwood, Diallo, and maybe Shaw Atire playing out wide, or Dan James, I guess, would come in. You know, it's it, we're pretty thin on the ground in terms of our striker options. So I think if we don't sign a striker and Cavani wants to be here, bring him back. If we do sign a striker... Not sure we have much need for him. Yeah, right. We're going to move on to some other questions uh, after we wrap the normal episode up. Thank you very much for listening, Efron. Um, enjoy the game against Granada. I'm, I'm really looking forward. I had that sense of, I was very relieved to have an international break, but then very relieved to have football back in it. Excited, actually. And the first 10 minutes of the game against Brighton, I thought, yeah, I've, I've missed United. And then after half an hour later, I thought, oh God, I have not missed watching this. Um, but I am looking forward to a European night albeit Europa League night on Thursday and it's not the most exciting opposition but I'm, I'm looking forward to it so enjoy the games against Granada and Spurs for more from us throughout the week you can find Jack on Twitter at at UTD Tate T-A-I-T and you can find me at Harry Robinson 64 and as I say the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod that's P-O-D at the end there have a great week everyone goodbye Podcast Network.